Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. In this episode, we have Sam and Jake back on the show. They came on about a year ago for episode 51, right after their very first bow hunting trip to Hawaii. They have since gotten the chance to hunt whitetail in Nebraska and have now moved to Hawaii and have hunted a lot more since then. So we wanted to catch up and hear their lessons along the way. It's quite the roller coaster. We hope you enjoy. All right. Today we have a super exciting podcast. It is a year later since we talked to Sam and Jake, and we are currently in four time zones. Sam, you're in Hawaii. Jake's in California. Baxter is in Idaho and I'm in New York city. So it was a fun, fun scheduling shenanigans, but uh, yeah, Jake and Sam, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having us back on. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. yeah of course. Super excited. So just to set context for everyone listening, it was about a year ago. You can check out the episode where uh, Sam and Jake came on the podcast. It was right after their first ever hunt in Hawaii going out for axis deer. And so they came back, we did a little retrospective review that like reflected on their lessons their learnings and kind of got to hear their stories out there and perspectives and questions as a first time hunter. And then since then, uh, so that was in April last year. And then in terms of like your hunting journey, where, where did you guys leave off? Um, we, we, um, applied for the identical draw hunt. Um, and we got chosen for that. And we actually applied for that hunt while we were sitting in a hundred degree weather in California in the archery opener. <laughs> and we were like, <laughs> it was like midday. We were like, what do we want to do? We we're like, let's just record our video and send it to identical draw. So that's what we did during the middle of the day, um, in our archery California hunt. And then, um, yeah, we didn't hunt too much in California this last year because um spoiler alert we moved to hawaii um and uh yeah we get to hunt out there pretty much year round now and before we moved we went to nebraska um with identical draw and got to hunt with them so that was kind of the extent of our hunting um we did a little california hunting the nebraska hunt and then we moved to hawaii after that gotcha yeah i remember after we got off our first first episode with you guys uh Baxter and I were just like wow Sam and Jake just know how to get after it like these guys are really interested in archery hunting and just totally dot like just dove in so I yeah and they also that. like jumping in they also reverse engineered a lot of places we've been I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> did a lot of they were research. like the original I was like wow they're smart they're on it <laughs> yeah and we're not using any more local names or anything like that <laughs> i remember laughing about that you guys it's so funny yeah they little clues go a long way yeah <laughs> you nailed it they did the work though too and um so actually before we talk about i do want to get to identical draw and that hunt and also for those listening who aren't familiar you can check them out on instagram at identical draw two twin brothers nate and tom doing amazing things for the hunting community by taking out new hunters with them in the, in the spring for Turkey in the fall for deer and, and even elk and mule deer, I think. And so they have applications for brand new hunters and, and they take, take you guys out. So super cool stuff. I do want to talk about that, but before that, tell me a little bit about a hundred degree heat in California and what that's hunting is like. Oh my gosh. It's brutal. Um, <laughs> 
that is part of the reason why we didn't do too much hunting out there as well, but also just hunting or trying to navigate like the fires and the dry hot season that California is facing like every year. I feel like it's getting worse. And also it's just like super scary. And so as nerve wracking as like, I mean, we've both backpacked a little bit and camped and been at the outdoors, but also just going out into national forests where all these fires are Yeah, not going to lie. Like, I talked Jake out of it a few times and yeah, I'm kind of a scaredy cat too. So also I would love to hear your guys' take on like, how do you navigate that when you're planning that? Cause sometimes you're sitting at home a few hours away from like spots and you're like, I don't know, is the wind blowing the fire that way? Has it traveled to where we're going or is it going to come at us in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. You guys heard my fire story, right? Have you, did we tell you that one? I don't think so. No, yeah, I got, we had one start near our quote unquote trailhead when I was hunting elk hunting and we had to like freak out and run out of there at full speed and it was very stressful. So yeah, I have a very personal fear of, uh, of all things fire. (laughs) Luckily it was blowing the right, the right way away from the road we were on. I mean, we drove within a hundred yards of it or something like that. We could see it. I mean, it was right there. Uh, so my, my general take on fire stuff is like as far as possible. <laughs> I just, uh, but yeah, I think it's a real weird consideration. Like everyone has to have now a lot of the, the places you hunt, like a fire could start, especially with a lot of guys that don't necessarily know. Well, I'm not trying to throw guys from like the East coast under the bus or people that just haven't hunted out West before. And they're not as familiar with fire in a super dry environment. Uh, I feel like there's just a lot more guys starting, starting spot fires by accident these days. Um, yeah, I don't know. Basically, my take on it is I always have like both ends of a unit or area I'm in like scouted like far opposites because I pretty much expect now I pretty much expect there to be a fire every year and I just don't know where it's going to be. So, yeah, I kind of just try to go you know, at least 50 miles away from where there's anything um, more preferably 100. But uh, right. Yeah. But like when you look on, say, like Onyx or something like that, you'll just see like a red logo. Or is it really just like, you just don't know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't, the funny thing about it though, is you see, even if it's a few miles away, like you'll pick up on it, especially if it's coming your direction, like you'll get the smoke so much before I've been within 20, 30 miles of a fire. And you're not like, I wonder if there's a fire. You're like, hot dang, something's up. Um, So that is the encouraging thing is like, it's, it's right there. And uh, I pretty much just check the state NC web. I think it's called. Um, you just Google like fire map, Idaho, fire map, wherever, California, and they'll have a, you know, a daily updated outline of fires in the area. And that's, it's a worthwhile check. I'm actually checking it all summer long just because, you know, I know where I'm going to be hunting. And I, like, if there's going to be something like where you were hunting for archery burned prior, these, it's not the best time because it doesn't really get good until it rains at least once or twice. So like rifle in October, it might be good, but I feel like archery, I wouldn't want to hunt there. So yeah, I'm watching it kind of all year, all, all year long, but it's good to like be familiar with that site before you head out for sure. Dang. Yeah, the, other, the other thing was kind of funny about the hundred degree weather was we just happened to be listening to your guys's podcast. It was a while ago, how you were talking about how heat isn't good for bows. And we're like in the middle of hundred degree (laughs) heat in our cars, you know, like, oh man, this can't be good. Yeah. And our bows are dark, like black colored. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It takes pretty, it's gotta get pretty hot, but it's like a, over like 120, you're like in the, in the trunk kind of thing. Yeah. Get it super stinking hot, but yeah, it'll melt the wax out of the strings. It's pretty crazy. 
so was that your uh jake was that your first time or and sam was that your first time hunting in bow hunting in california or did you hunt the prior season do you remember sam i'm pretty sure that was our first time bow hunting in california yes that yeah. definitely was but our mm-hmm. first time bow hunting was out here right right in hawaii right. yeah and then we had our podcast and then so any learnings from the from hunting in the heat was the main learning like never do that again or were, were there other other lessons along the way Man, I feel like we're so spoiled now in Hawaii. I would never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but like, honestly, we, we drove up there and, and it was like two hours, two, three hours away. And we drove up there and we had like, we froze those gallon jugs of water and we figured they would gradually melt and we could use them as ice initially and then drink the water as they went along. Um, and we slept there. Friday night and woke up Saturday morning and by like 11 o'clock, everything was melted and they were in our Yeti ice chest in our car in the shade, you know? And I think we ended up honestly just driving back home that night and just having dinner with Sam's parents. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was pretty miserable. That's That's so good though. You got to do stuff like that to like appreciate everything else. Yeah, exactly. Like that was bad. (laughs) Making memories. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say making memories. (laughs) Uh, Did you see any deer? Did you get to hunt much or mostly hike around and and sweat a lot? You know, this was an interesting thing. I think we drove up, we tried to get like in the higher altitudes. Um, And then when we were driving back down, we, exited the zones that were okay to hunt. And then we started seeing deer like in the lower altitudes and we started seeing them like in the shade under trees in like the base of the mountains. And then it kind of made sense because it was cooler down in like the, the base of the Valley, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to like higher up on the mountain. Is that something that makes sense or, or no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we saw that a bit yeah. last year. Remember that, Josh, yeah. where elk traditionally are like almost always up way high where it's still got snow and green and it all melted off by like June last year. So we actually saw a lot of them down in valleys that we were super surprised by. I think it's the same thing. They're probably just down there because of the water and it's a little cooler when it's just burning hot out in the sun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't see anything in a huntable zone while we were actively hunting, but mm-hmm. on the drive back, we saw them as we were like exiting, um, gotcha. but they were, they were out of like our, our unit, you know? So yeah, it always works out that way, huh? Just yeah. right over the line. They know <laughs> right where they're safe and they just chill and hang out there. Um, so yeah, that was the summer. And then fast forward to the fall. Um, I remember you guys, I think you sh- sh- uh, sent me a message on Instagram or email, letting letting me know that you won the 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 hunt with identical draw and got to go out for whitetail, I believe it was. And yeah, could you tell us a little bit about what what did it feel like first? I guess to to win, and then yeah, let's start there. Uh, and maybe Sam, if you want to take this one, and then we can hop over to Jake for the next question. Yeah, absolutely. Um- just to move back a little bit, I remember listening to both your podcast and Identical Draws podcast. I don't remember which one I heard about. I heard about you both like through each other's kind of thing. And I was so stoked. And the next day I was like applying to or like sending you guys a message just showing like a we we're just so appreciative of you guys. And then also 
sending identical draw one as well, just because you were two. And I had never messaged anyone else, by the way. It was just you guys, both your podcasts. And then I was like so stoked on it. And we applied. And then when we found out um, that you did it through with them and then we got accepted with theirs, it was unreal. I couldn't even focus on work. Um, and then we actually didn't end up go- taking our own bows just because of um, we were mo- in the process of moving. So we ended up using crossbows, which was super fun, actually. We had never shot a crossbow before. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Identical Draw for doing what they do and trying to get new hunters into uh, hunting the proper way. Yeah, that's awesome. I never shot a crossbow too. Uh, what was that like for for each of you? I, I really enjoyed it because we were hunting out of blinds and it seemed like it would be very difficult to draw and it just, it was just like a very crammed situation, right? With all their camera gear and two people in a small blind, it was very easy to kind of set everything up beforehand and just kind of visualize how everything was going to play out. And yeah, I mean, we were shooting bullseyes at 30 yards easy and we had never shot a crossbow, you know? So the, the practice, um, I felt, I felt like I was very effective with very little practice. So I think it'd be a great way to, to get new hunters into it. Gotcha. Yeah. I remember talking to Nate and Tom the first year I went out and they were thinking about, maybe they were doing cross pose already at that point, or maybe that a couple, but I think they really appreciated the fact that it was more approachable for a new hunter. Um, in, cause it's, it's, and it's also nice for private property cause it's not super loud, right? Like a rifle. And right. so it, it's a really a win-win for both the landowner and the new hunter to be able to come in practice a little bit for a day and then put them up in the blind. What's it like, uh, hunting, hunting in a blind. I don't think I've done that either. It's cold. Oh yeah. (laughs) You get out early, huh? Yeah. Sam, you want to take this one? Um, yeah, sure. It was very, yes. Cold. Um, if you're claustrophobic, probably not a good idea. I'm not claustrophobic, but it's also, I'd never done it either. And find something to maybe read a book or listen to something while you're scoping it out. Cause you can only see like however large that piece of property is out to, and you only have a certain field of vision um, and it's crammed in there. So, yeah. Gotcha. It's pretty crammed, pretty cold. Sounds like a lot of time waiting. Um, could you talk a little bit about the the setting and like set the stage for, for those listening? Like, where was this? When was it? How, how long was the hunt? And what did your typical day look like? Yeah. So we got there Friday night. Um, and it was in Nebraska and they have, um, this guy named Jacob, shout out to Jacob who, gave, um, gives them access to his like family property. And there's different areas they like to go along this, this family property. So, um, the first day we sat this field, um, this was Saturday morning, got there super early, walked there in the dark and there's a field. I forget the crop that they're growing in this field. Um, but basically the, the fields may be like, I don't know what do you think, Sam, like 60 yards wide, probably more than that, actually, maybe like a hundred yards. Yeah. Wide. Maybe like a hundred by like what? 
600. Yeah. Or maybe it was pretty long. 600 to 1,000. I don't know. Yeah. It was a pretty long field, but not a very wide field. Because like when we were preparing to maybe shoot a deer, they were like, make sure that because we were on opposite sides of the field. And we needed to make sure that if we were shooting at a deer that we weren't shooting at the other blind, if that makes sense. Cause it was mm. close enough that the arrow could potentially hit the other people. Um, so we were very obviously aware of where the other people were and we're never going to take a, a shot where the deer was in the general vicinity of the other blind. But um, that was kind of the general scene is that, we were both set up on opposite sides of this field and we just kind of waited for the deer to come out there in the mornings and in the evenings. And then in the middle of the day, we went and watched Nebraska college football <laughs> pride and joy of the, uh, the state of Nebraska um, and just kind of hung out with them and, and a couple of their friends, which was, it was awesome. It was, it was such a cool trip. That's awesome. And also in the morning, or just every time we would go out to set up the blind, um, we would try to check the wind before to see which way our wind was going. So our wind wasn't getting blown into the animals. Um, so we moved our blinds a couple times. And also it was cool to watch them teach us how to take, like we weed whacked a bit to then cover up our blind to be like a little bit more camouflage. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had, we had a, few close encounters and then um jake i'll let you tell that part you moved to a different spot one of the times uh to a different field or a different zone of the property yeah so tom and i we went to um this alfalfa field and we sat there was like an alfalfa field with water to our left and then like a line of bushes pretty much. And we sat in this line of bushes that kind of bordered the property. And then we waited for the deer to walk through those bushes and towards the water. So that was the general game plan. And we literally didn't see any deer pretty much the whole evening. We were sitting there for maybe like three hours, didn't see anything. And then like, 15 minutes maybe before sunset um deer started to come out but they started to walk the other way like away from the water so we were sitting there um more deer more deer kept coming and then finally a group of deer turned our direction and we uh we had set up where basically the crossbow set up on a tripod and the camera gear is kind of next to the tripod and uh, this group of deer comes out, starts walking towards us. It's like 20 yards and Tom hits the like record button and it's pretty much happening, right? Like it's, it's happening. When it happens, it happens quick. And he basically said, make sure that when the crossbow shoots and the limbs expand out, that it's not going to hit the camera. Um, and I looked like out of the scope of the crossbow and it wasn't really close. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. But the deer kept walking and then I kept following the deer with the crossbow. Oh, no. And as I'm following it, the crossbow is moving gradually towards the, the camera. And then I ended up shooting at 20 yards 
and the crossbow expanded, hit the tripod. It sounded like a bomb went off in our blind and they were recording and you could, we played it back in slow motion. The deer kind of does its little like duck thing, you know, where it like cinches down its neck curls a lot. And the arrow ended up taking like a hard left and it went like right over the deer's head and the deer just kind of like ran off and was like, what the heck was that kind of thing? And uh, so we're sitting there and like, he's giving me like the talk, like, it's okay. It happens like blah, blah, blah. And then um, I was like, should I load up another one? Like just in case some more deer come, he's like, yeah, sure. But at this point there's like maybe, you know, 10 minutes left of hunting time. And uh, then sure enough, another group of deer comes out and this deer is like eight yards away. And this time I like made hundred percent sure I wasn't even anywhere near the camera. And then, um, yeah, shot her at like eight yards. Um, she ran maybe like 30 yards and then went down. And then we just kind of sat in the blind for 30 minutes or so while just kind of the dust settled and just kind of let everything play out. Um, and then we walked over, tried to find the arrow, didn't end up finding the arrow. Um, it was already really dark and, um, we needed to meet up with Nate and, uh, Sam. So we went, um, grabbed the truck and yeah, picked them up and then went back to, to recover the, the deer. Um, and that was the, the first deer that I've ever, I've ever gotten. And, and it's, it was a, it was a crazy experience. It's just such a, it's a weird feeling of like joy and like happiness, especially like when you see her go down, um, after shooting, especially after I missed the first time, you know, it was, it was a lot of joy. Cause we sacrificed a lot to go all the way to Nebraska and, and make this trip happen. And, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. But at the same time, when you look into the eyes of something that you just, you know, shot, it's, it's, it's heavy stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just such a weird, weird feeling, but very grateful for, for Nate and Thomas for making that happen. And very grateful for Sam, for all the support that she's given to, to me and to us throughout this whole, whole process. And obviously very thankful to the deer for, for the meat and, and everything um, that we get to share with, with our friends and family now. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. I have so many questions. So, uh, how many days was the hunt and which night was this one? So this was the, the hunt was Saturday, Sunday mm-hmm. and or was it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sam, or just Saturday, Sunday. I can't remember. Okay. I'm very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it was, it might even have been a Friday, Saturday, and then we flew back Sunday. I don't know. It was two days. We did two full days and this was, like literally the last five minutes of the last day. Yeah, that's I I thought that's what it was. That that must have been so intense to see those deer finally come in after yeah. 10, 15 minutes. So backing up a, a bit, well, first, congratulations on on your first kill. I was I was talking to you guys before the episode. I was so stoked. I was sending all caps like crazy messages on Instagram. I was so happy. Um, so first of all, congrats. And then quick question when you missed the first one and hit the camera and all that what what did what was going through your head like what what were the emotions like right after that moment i was so deflated i was i was kicking myself like how 
like, and especially because he warned me like 10 seconds before that, you know, like, oh, make sure that when they, like, you don't hit the camera when it expands. It just seemed like such a dumb thing to happen to like, I don't know, just not ruin the trip, but like, yeah, like to just for that to be the thing that that kind of messed everything up. Thank God I didn't like hit her in a spot that would have, you know, hurt her and then she runs away and we don't recover her. That would have been like worst case. Thank God I missed. But like it just seemed I was just very deflated after that. My confidence was pretty low. <laughs> yeah. And that was don't, like and then yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, dumb stuff happens like that for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just seems like just seems like the potential for that to happen is like always there. And that it's was amazing. like I, I kind of get that now after after hunting more in Hawaii. Like like there's just stuff that happens and it's just like it happens, you know? But like, that was the first time where it was like, I definitely messed up and it didn't go according to plan and it was my fault, you know, and it right. just didn't feel good at all. And yeah. Right. And especially on your uh, first time out there and as guests and, and it's the last day and, the and it's going to be on YouTube and, and it's going to catch video evidence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and then, so that was that happened and then how much longer was it that you guys were going to sit for the rest of the evening was it like maybe five more minutes like it was just barely over or what was it yeah, maybe like 10 maybe like 10 minutes wow so that happened feeling super deflated 10 more minutes for the last evening and the last hunt um actually before we jump into what it felt like to then see the other deer is there any for those people who haven't experienced this before or new hunters listening is there anything you can relate that to like i know you do jujitsu for example is that what it feels like to maybe lose your first tournament or like get like choked out and like have to tap out of a tournament like is there anything that you can relate that to from from past experience um the mistake of hitting the tripod or the yeah. action okay the mistake or, or i guess missing and maybe part partly the mistake as well I'd say both like the down and the up. <laughs> right. That's a really, really good question. Um, hmm, let me think, you know, like I've never, I've never taken jujitsu so seriously, if that makes sense. Like I've never had that much of a, like a kind of ego to like get super upset when I lose and I never like compete very much. I more just like enjoy the act of improving at it. So when I lose in jujitsu, I don't really take it like, like as, as personally, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, this is like way bigger in the sense that it could have, it, it could have been way worse if I would have hit her. And, and like, if my, my mistake could have cost someone else a lot of, um, you know, pain and suffering. So I think in that sense, it's, it's not really comparable to anything jujitsu related um for me and, and sorry that's not the best answer no no <laughs> but no uh, yeah um that's a really good question yeah all good and I, then, I i've got a friend who similarly he he's been at the final table at the uh, huge poker tournament in vegas he used to drift race cars and when he missed his first year he was like brother like there's nothing that feels like that like the pressure is just something different yeah so i'm i'm glad you you could express that and and for new hunters out there, maybe it can help <laughs> set expectations a little bit. It's, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty intense stuff. It's super yeah. intense. And it happens so fast. Like we were literally 
the amount of time we spent sitting and nothing happened was probably like 10 hours throughout the weekend. And then in 10 minutes, I had two shots, you know? Yeah. And it's just crazy. It's so hard to quantify. It's something that I talked to Josh and hopefully a lot of folks here pick up on too, but it's so hard to like quantify the lessons in hunting, which is part of the reason I love it is that it's not something you can like read a book or even listen to a podcast gives you the full perspective on it. Do you feel like that just that episode where you had to deal with that, where it was like 10 hours of boredom and then like one sec, you know, one minute of like crazy. Do you feel like that helped you as a hunter later on? Like you kind of just, you're like, oh, that's normal. And like, that's, I reset my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, you got to be really patient and you see all the YouTube videos that are 20 minutes long. It makes it seem action packed and like things are happening a lot, but a lot of times it's just kind of sitting and chatting a little bit and then sitting a little more and then chatting a little bit and nothing really happens kind of thing, you know? Um, and I think definitely, like you said, it initially before going on that trip, it, Sam and I were constantly questioning ourselves, like, are we doing something wrong um, right now? And then the fact that we did pretty much very similar things. And like Sam said, we were just looking at the wind and kind of set our blinds accordingly. That's very similar to what we were doing in California and Hawaii. It just kind of gave us some reassurance that we're not, we're on the right track. You know, um, I think that was one of the biggest things about that trip. It, it gave us reassurance that people who know what they're doing are doing similar things to what we were doing, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's huge. So then, so now you're feeling this, uh, you, you missed the hit the camera feeling very, very defeated. And then a few minutes later you see, what, what was it like to see that first deer pop out again after, after that situation? <laughs> it was, it was awesome. <laughs> Uh, it was like instant redemption almost, which I feel like doesn't happen very often in hunting. And, you know, Nate, or I mean, Thomas already gave me the, uh, like the spiel, like, it's okay. It happens. Like, it's okay. You can go home, like learning a lot of lessons from this trip. You don't need the meat kind of thing. It's, it'll serve you well in the long run. I already got like the whole spiel and then a deer comes out again. It was just, it was awesome to see. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, as far as just like learning to be able to do something again and make sure you don't make the same mistake again, right after you made that mistake, I just feel like it ingrained it in my brain, um, very well being able to get like instant redemption, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Wow. And at eight yards, that is yeah. close. I put a hole in the blind cause it was so close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I shot and it went through the, uh, it like went underneath our, our little window that we made. Cause it was like literally right on top of us. Wow. That's nuts. And then how did that feel after that? Yeah. I, it felt like initially after the, after I shot, <clears throat> I was just really hoping that she was going to fall in an area that I could see her fall. Cause I didn't want to sit there for like two hours waiting to see like if we can find her you know i was really grateful that she fell down in an open field where we knew she was she was done you know and it she fell like maybe 10 seconds after the arrow oh, went wow. through her so it was like it was really quick and that made me feel feel really good about it wow and then sam during this time what was going on in in your blind on the other side of the property 
We saw some deer probably at a couple hundred yards. Um, nothing really came in close that evening. Uh, but then like right as we're starting to get ready to like, okay, they're not coming out closer. Um, we got those text messages from Jake and Tom and it was, it was so awesome. Cause it was last minute of last light of the last day. Um, it all came together. We were just so stoked for him. Yeah. So but right before the texts came in, um, I'm, I'm just thinking about my, my last day, the last night, uh, last light, my first year elk hunting, um, in September, I was sitting by myself on a, on a wallow. I was sitting by myself on a wallow, just waiting for elk. And it was, I knew it was like, okay, the season's over. I didn't get anything learned a lot, like just that acceptance. What was that experience like for you before you got the text? Just like the, the night coming to an end, the hunt coming to an end. Um, I was just grateful for the experience to be taken under Nate and Tom's wing and kind of see like the way things are done. And like, like Jake said, we always, I, I was always questioning like, okay, what are we doing wrong? Like, And really, I don't think we were doing too much there was nothing really wrong Mm -hmm. um but just to see like do people really sit in blinds and sit there and wait (laughs) yes that's what they do I didn't know that um but just seeing how to yeah go about hunting was just I was just blessed for the experience I wasn't really too disappointed that I didn't get one myself but I was very excited that I got to learn how to butcher an animal um, the right way (laughs) yeah well, that's such a, I feel like that's such a critical point. I don't want folks that are listening, even folks that have been hunting for a while. Like I think there's something so important to that, where you feel like just the confidence in what you're doing is so important. You know, we talk a lot about like confidence in equipment and confidence in like your research or whatever it is. But I feel like, like you said, when you're just like, oh no, no, like I know that even though I'm doing this, I'm doing the right thing, you know? And it's, I feel like that's half the battle in hunting and fishing or any of these sports where you're just like, am I just, is this pointless? Right. You're like, am I just doing something that's, that's stupid. And it's, uh, it's such a critical learning and it's so cool. You guys got that there before you came, went to Hawaii. I'm really interested how that transition transition is going to go, but that you like learned that lesson where it's like, no, if you know, know you, what you're doing is the right thing, then just like have the confidence in it and just push through like a real, really cool learning. Right. Like, and to Absolutely. relate this, this is very relatable to jujitsu because we talk a lot about um, false positives in jujitsu where like you could be doing something wrong, but you're just like more athletic and it, you just get it to work on people because you're stronger, more athletic, faster, whatever it is. But that doesn't mean you're doing it right. And mm-hmm. I feel like hunting is was the exact opposite for us. Like we were doing stuff that was like technically like right. You know, like we were doing stuff well, it just wasn't getting the result that we wanted. So we started to question what we were doing. Um, and exactly like you said, it just gives us reassurance and confidence in, in how we're approaching it. So, yeah, it's so cool too. I know Josh and I have felt this, but like, yeah, like both times we hunted this year, you know, the other person didn't get an elk by default, but it's like, you don't even care. You're so stoked for that person too. It has, must've been pretty fun to to have that feeling of like mutual win. Did uh, so? Who you guys got to? I cut you off before you were going to go dress the dress the deer. But you guys got to both go do that. Sounds like yeah. I cut myself pretty early on, so Sam uh, Sam ended up doing most of it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about that, Sam? 
Uh, yeah, it was a group effort. Um, but we did the gutless method, mm-hmm. right, Jake? And so I'd never done, Jake and I had never done that. Um, it was fairly quick, fairly clean. Yeah. Was it as intimidating as you thought it would be? I remember that was when I hunted elk the first time. That was probably the biggest thing I was worried about was like figuring out how to clean the animal myself. Um, and it was the scary thing, but. Yes and no, not really. Well, I guess I really just don't like the idea of looking at an animal that has its tongue hanging out and its blood coming out and stuff. But like, I was just like, all right, well, I'm with here with a few different guys that know what they're doing and I'm just following their lead. Um, and I just pushed through like, this is what it is. Jake cut his hand and like, I'm excited to learn how to do this and take this meat home and be able to say that we did this together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this, it also was a confidence thing as well, because even them who were butchering it, they were like, yeah. And then you just kind of like cut around this area a little bit till you find like the ball joint, you know, and we're like, okay, it's not like very like that meticulous, you know, and precise. It's kind of more of like, just kind of feel your way through it almost, you know? Um, so that kind of gave me a little bit of reassurance that it doesn't have to be like perfect, you know, and yeah. Yeah, totally. What was it like for you guys? Was this the first, well, first question, was this the first time having your hands like on an animal? And then, yeah. Yeah. Was that the first time? And what was that experience like? Just, just like approaching in like, wow, it's like right here. I'm going to, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to do this thing. So in, in Hawaii, there was a guy who, um, helped us butcher two deer. There's like a service pretty much that, delivers deer to your door because they're very overpopulated on the island that we went and he had two deer delivered and basically walked us through butchering it but those were hung up in his garage and it was it's a it's a very different process when it's hung up in the garage but we definitely got experience handling meat and that was like the first time we were able to um like handle handle meat Gotcha. Okay. So this was second time then I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Jake, how'd you cut your hand? Do you remember the situation? This could be a good, <laughs> good, like warning story for all this happens very often. And so we'd love to hear that story. Yeah. So, um, Tom, I believe was telling me there's like a, a nice technique he likes to use where he like kind of, uh, gets underneath the, like he puts his index finger on the back of the knife and kind of slides his index finger underneath the skin and your blade is facing up and it kind of cuts the the skin along the spine. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was doing that and I put my thumb on top what I've, of what I thought was the knife, uh, like the handle of the knife oh. um, to kind of get a better grip. And my knife is really short. So when I put my thumb on what I thought was the handle, I actually put it on the blade and then I went to cut and it cut my finger. Oh, ouch. Did, was yeah. it bad? Did you need stitches or was it just like a, no, I didn't need stitches, but it was, it was kind of, it was, it was decent. It was bleeding pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fingers bleed a lot. Um, yeah. damn it, Tom, if you're listening, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the trick works. It was just me <laughs> focusing too much on my index finger and subconsciously putting my thumb in a, the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. It's a tricky situation. So for all the new hunters out there, 
anticipating having to do this for your first time, definitely, definitely be very careful in this situation. I've seen people get cut. I've almost cut myself. Baxter and I working on the same elk. We've almost cut each other. It's, it's intense. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the buddy is a dangerous one. Cause you don't, you're not like telling each other what you're doing. You're just kind of cutting it around. You know, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a real dangerous one <laughs> when you're tired and it's dark. Yeah. Especially. Um, so you guys went, you got this deer and you were, you're off to Hawaii the next week, right? Was that the, we were talking about before? Yep. That's crazy. So, so big transition, right? Like you get the deer, you fly home, you go straight to Hawaii. Like what was, what was it like to be in the islands? Like two, two weeks later hunting deer, you know, just around the world almost. It's, it's I mean, it was pretty wild. It was, it was cool in the sense that we, um, Got the deer. Sam actually processed most of it back home and made a bunch of burger and, and steaks and stuff for her family. And then we knew we were going to a place that had basically unlimited venison. So we basically left that whole deer for Sam's family and, and my family to, to eat, um, which That's is cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, you just go to an island where it's very socially acceptable to hunt and everyone does it year round. And, um, it's just a completely different environment, um, there as opposed to someone in Nebraska who literally spends the majority of the year managing their land and prepping their land and cutting trees and making sure everything's perfect for those, that month that you get to hunt every year, you know, whereas people who get off from work and then just go hunt every day. You know, it's, it's just different. Um, and yeah. 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 And for those listening, uh, it was, you guys hunted with Nate and Tom and then it was days later. It wasn't just that you went to Hawaii, but that you guys ended up moving to Hawaii. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's insane. Did you, how soon after you move in, did you guys start hunting? Do you remember Sam? Um, no, it, it was, it's kind of a weird situation. Cause we, live in a hotel right now and like just handling meat and stuff we kind of got to be a little incognito you know um and i think we're one of the only people that hunt in the hotel and it was just kind of weird like having to check in our bows and we didn't have a car for the first like month we were there so i think it took us maybe Probably a month and a half yeah yeah like a month month and change before we actually went out hunting Okay. Um, just because we didn't have any sort of transportation <laughs> and, um, yeah, the, the logistics were not, didn't make sense for us to, to just go out and try and, um, hunt right away. Right. So you got a car out there and then a month and a half in, what was that first hunt like? And then what were the other hunts like after that? How, how was the progression? What was the learning curve like? Right. Uh, the first hunt out, I believe I was, I found a tree stand. And I sat in it and I didn't think anything would actually walk under me. But then I think three doe and like two bucks walked at like 15 yards and they just kept walking and my heart was racing and I, I don't know what I was doing. Um, I didn't draw. <laughs> um, I, had my release on, I had everything. I knew the yardage, but they just kept walking. And so I was just kind of confused. Like, uh, how do I get them to stop? So I'm sure, I don't know if you guys can make that noise or if there's a specific thing you're supposed to do to get them to turn and look. Um, 
but maybe you guys could have, or you have some advice for what I should do in case that ever happens again. I just know elk. I don't really know access to your, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They, they're probably so skittish. If you made any noise, they'd probably right. be gone. Right. Yeah. They were also very small and we're in a really bad drought here. And so the deer are getting very small. They're already small deer and you can like see their hip bones and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's another goes to show like Hawaii is one of those great arguments for, or like illustrations of conservation because it's just so overpopulated out there. Wow. That's insane. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not sure what, what you're supposed to do. I, maybe like, I, I guess, I don't know. I've seen people in videos make a noise like Mark or something like that. Maybe after they draw, I think, I think they draw first and then make a small noise to try. That's, to what, stop. that's what Tom did with my deer in Nebraska. Oh, um, okay. He, he did that, that noise is the exact noise that you just did, Josh. Mm-hmm. But like Baxter said, we've kind of heard that if you make any sort of noise with these axis deer, oh. they're going to be, they're going to be gone. Wow. Um, we've heard people using like, cause there's turkeys around. We've heard people using turkey calls to kind of get them to stop. Um, but we don't, we don't have that. We have elk, our elk calls that we are practicing with, but <laughs> <laughs> we don't have turkey ones. Um, we've heard that little trick, but yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And then, uh, Sam, that first hunt, did you see any after that or? Yeah, I did. Um, but they were all like young and small and I was like, okay, I don't really want to get like a little baby, you know, mm-hmm. I know it's technically legal here, but to get a fawn, I wasn't okay with. Yeah. And yeah. I also, yeah, I'm all for hunting and stuff, but I still haven't gotten over the hump of like, I don't know if I could kill something. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Uh, what were, and Jake, were you out there at this time or was it, were you going out to Hawaii later? No, I was out there and I was sitting um, maybe, what is that, Sam? Like 120 yards maybe away from Sam at like yeah. a little watering hole kind of area um, that's away from the the tree stand, like completely downwind of the of the tree stand almost. So I was almost there almost for like support almost for Sam. Um, and just kind of hoping that something might walk by, but, um, yeah, yeah. I didn't see anything that morning. Gotcha. And then what have hunts been like since then it's been what October, November, December, January. Wow. Almost six months out on Hawaii. What were some of like the, the key moments or some of the key hunts after that? Yeah. So I got, I got one deer, um, this local guy, I went out with him and it was in the morning and snuck in kind of on this group of deer. And, and we were, <laughs> we spotted them from like 250 yards away and we're sneaking up on them. And we were spooking deer left and right on the way to these deer that we were trying to sneak in on. <laughs> and for whatever reason, these deer didn't run away and they just kept kind of working the way that they were working. And we cut them off. And when we initially saw them, like up close, it was 80 yards. And like I said, we were spooking deer all the way to these deer. And with these axis deer, it's usually not the deer that you're approaching and trying to stalk that sees you. It's the deer that you don't see. Um, that's going to bark and spook all the deer around. Um, that's including the deer that you're, you're trying to stalk. So from 80 yards, I was walking very slowly 
and just trying to check in every direction before I walked out. Um, and the ground was relatively soft. It had just rained. So that was kind of nice. I wasn't tromping through breaking twigs and stuff. I was able to, you know, be, be relatively quiet and there wasn't too much wind. And I ended up taking a shot at 48 yards. And actually this is a pretty good learning moment for me. I drew back the first time and I looked through my peep and the sun was like, kind of like right in my face. And I really couldn't see much through my peep. And I let the bow down that deer walked through the opening. And I thought I was just kind of kicking myself like, man, I just kind of missed a really great opportunity. But now I kind of know what to expect when I draw back. And um, there was another deer that walked right into the opening. I drew back. And then by the time I felt comfortable, that deer walked through the opening again. But now I knew the exact yardage and I didn't have to range the third deer that walked through this opening. And I just let the arrow fly. And uh, she basically ran like 10 yards, turned and looked at me and then just laid behind a bush. And kid you not, after I shot this, there were probably 60 deer that ran out of these bushes and just like looked in my general direction, including some like really nice bucks and stuff. Um, But I had no idea that like any of these deer were there. And yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, And then the, the doe that I had shot just looked at me for maybe like 10 seconds and then laid behind this bush. And we waited maybe like 15, 20 minutes and then walked up, found the arrow and then just looked to our left. And she was laying there right behind the bush. Um, Like, yeah, like 10 yards away. So um, that was again, really an awesome experience in the sense that like, I just knew exactly where she was. Like you sure you see her lay down It's it's done like right in front of your eyes. And that's just such a comforting (laughs) feeling. Um, Yeah. And, and that was a pretty awesome experience. Can you get that deer kind of where we were hunting a year ago? Yeah. And that was the other cool thing. Cause huh. Sam and I, we oh, hunted cool. the same spot a lot. Um, cause it was relatively close to town and we didn't have a car <laughs> for the majority of our trip. So we would just walk, um, to this spot. And that was the spot where I got the, the first year. So that, that was a cool little connection there. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I, I bet that played into it. Like, all the learnings from last year and like maybe spooking deer you didn't know were there before and now being extra careful every time you see deer to like scan around you actually that's the number one piece of advice that nate and tom gave me on my very first big game hunt uh hunting mule deer last year oh wow two years ago with them and he said that too many people see the their target and they get so tunnel vision that they forget to really check everything around them and take it slow. So that's a really cool lesson to see you pick up on right away uh, this time out in Hawaii. Yeah, that's that's huge hunting out here for sure. Yeah, I feel like if you can do access to here, you're probably going to be pretty good at anything. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, that's about as hard as it gets when it comes to like actual on the ground tactics. Yeah, they're they're really tough to get with a bow for sure. Yeah. So Sam, have you been hunting a bit too since then? Uh, yeah, we've gone out a handful of times since then. Um, but I think that was my only time. No, there was one other time that I was like, oh man, they're right there. Started walking up this road and then Jake was already there. Apparently I just didn't know that he was so close to me. Um, and so I was like, yeah, go ahead, shoot. 
And it was kind of the same group of deer that I was looking at, but he was just ahead of me um, because I was coming to meet up with him because I was off looking elsewhere for deer. Um, And then it's Jake's story again. I'm not mad about that (laughs) either. I felt so bad about this one. I, yeah, I felt really bad. I, I didn't know Sam was as close as she was. Otherwise I would have just like, not done anything and let it let her take it um but this is this is a really good learning experience again for me because like I'm, i was basically chasing these deer that were walking um like into the wind and i was just walking like faster than them um which usually doesn't work out too well but in this situation it did um and i was walking and basically i took this shot at 38 yards and the deer was quartering away from me and I shot like I mean I looked like a perfect angle right to shoot and I could just see like the exact spot I wanted to hit I felt so comfortable way more comfortable than my first shot at 48 yards um and it felt like just a perfect shot I just felt so relaxed and everything but the deer jumped forward and the wind was blowing downhill so it was like blowing down towards the deer's like butt um so it it worked the arrow down towards the deer's butt and it jumped forward and it the arrow hit the deer in the back hip and like it kind of ran off into the bushes and laid there and this was like again really close to sunset and um we just kind of like waited and no we didn't wait (laughs) (laughs) there there were a bunch of deer around and and sam um wanted to get one as well so she like ran up there and then ended up spooking the deer out of its out of its bed darn yeah we had the same we had a similar experience with one that we the one i shot when we were there bumped bumped it and it moved off yeah but uh yeah that's that's just yours oh twitchy i don't i mean correct me if i'm wrong you have more experience than i do by a long shot now but it just feels like anything whitetail times three like they're just any little noise anytime i mean I, I distinctly remember two or three shots at one at like 60 80 yards 50 yards even or like by the time the arrow left the bow they'd already like jumped out of the way of the arrow like i, I i'm 100 convinced that's what happened everyone will be like no there's no way but they're that freaking fast it's crazy yeah it like it it convinced me that i'm never going to take a shot quartering away again because if they take a half step forward that arrow is going to hit so far back it's like yeah it's not, it, not a pretty sound yeah I mean, it was just it a sound good, yeah yeah and uh yeah no i i think it convinced me that i'm going to take like broadside shots under 40 yards and like if i want confidence that that arrow is going to hit before that um the deer jumps you know and uh yeah that was that was a tough tough experience there wow and is that the what third fourth arrow you've flung at a live animal now that your belt? is the third arrow yeah third arrow wow have there have either of you flung any arrows after that in your time in hawaii um well i don't know do we to, I, I guess we'll, we'll tell the rest of this story i guess so like <laughs> um this this is literally the not our proudest point. moment yeah this is awful Um, but hopefully people can learn from, from this. Um, basically we're trying to find this deer that we spooked out of its bed and it's dark 
and we're kind of split up and Sam starts yelling at me like, Jake, there's, I see eyes like looking at me. And, uh, I kind of like walk over there and there's a bush and you just see eyes looking through the bush, like literally five yards away. And we're like flashing a light at it. Like, Oh my gosh, like, is this the deer? Like we can't see, like, I don't know if it's the same deer, if it's just laying down, I don't, can't see the arrow. I don't know if it's the same deer. And then I try and walk around the bush to get a better visual on the deer, like super slow, trying to walk as slow as I possibly can. And then it gets up, it's the deer and it runs off again. Oh, darn. And we're like, gosh, dang it. So then we're walking again, looking for this deer and same exact situation. We see eyes and it's just looking at us from like five yards. We can't see the arrow. We're like, man, like, is this the deer? I don't know. Okay. And but we were like 50 yards down from where we last saw that deer, right? Yeah. At least 50 to hundred yards down. And we're walking, we're headed back. Right. Yeah. And then, um, so we end up, we basically like we're, ta- we're having a full blown conversation five yards away from this deer, you know? And we're like, man, it looks I, I guess it looks like the same deer, you know? Um, and we're like, it's not running. It's got to be hurting. Like this has got to be the deer. Right. So I end up shooting this deer and it's not the same deer. Hmm. And it was like, you know, pitch black at this time, maybe an hour and a half, two hours after shooting light, we just shoot this deer. That's it was, we found like, I assume it didn't run because it was so weak it was just starving. Like you could literally see mm. its whole spine, its wow. legs were like, you could see the bones on its legs. It was just like probably just about to be on the brink of starvation mm. anyway, you know? Um, so maybe that's why it didn't run. But bottom line of the story is we didn't recover the deer I shot initially. And we shot another deer that we thought was the deer that we shot initially, but it wasn't. Um, so yeah, that was a very low point in our hunting experience yeah well i feel like i don't know i feel like that's a pretty pretty safe assumption because i feel like anytime a deer is going to hang out at five yards that's pretty you know it's like something's up right right uh, right i probably would have done the same thing which is like if you just feel like you put an arrow in anything and it's like you just keep shooting no matter how bad the shot opportunity is because it's if you think it's a mortal wound right um, right because then it's it's just stuff so yeah i don't know i feel like yeah i understand why you're being a little hard on yourself but also it's like if that's you know, the same situation, five yards away. That was it. It ran that direction. You're like, okay, like this is, it just seems too weird that one would hang out at five yards again like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, don't be too hard on yourself on that one. That's a, cause you know, I, I guess it could be the other way. What happens if you'd spooked it and it run off and you couldn't quite tell and you'd be like, Oh, I could have shot that same deer. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. It was, it was definitely a tough position to be in, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, like, like we talked about earlier, like stuff happens when you're hunting and that happened to me in Nebraska and it happened definitely there where it's just like, like you said, maybe it's just kind of a bad situation. Um, but at the same time, it's just, it sucks. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> yeah. that's crazy. They're in that bad of shape. That's, that's hard to hear for the, the deer. It sounds like this was in, um, off. this was in like December mm-hmm. and since then it's rained um, a pretty good amount and they're much healthier now, but it's starting mm-hmm. to get dry again and they're starting to come out. And, um, like when it rained, it was very hard to find them because they would be pretty high up in the mountains and like, they weren't down like near town kind of, you know? 
mm-hmm. um, getting a little desperate for food. But now they're starting to come out again and you're starting to see them more and more. But they still are kind of healthy because they were able to eat quite a bit after the the storms. But I imagine over summer and into fall, they're going to they're going to dwindle down again. Um, the right. same as when we first got here. Yeah, it right. started to smell like a zoo around here because oh, wow. they were just dying. Wow, that is so intense. I, I remember at some point, Maui County, like all of Hawaii, where all the deer are basically, like all of it, the, the county said they're in a state of emergency because of um, overpopulation and, and drought for, for these animals. Um, dang, were you able to recover that last one or did that one just sprint away and in, into the darkness? The last one we got. Um, and we got it actually, now that I'm thinking about the timeline, we got it right before Thanksgiving and we ended up cooking like most of that meat on Thanksgiving wow. because like literally the back straps were so small, so skinny. And like, it, there's just not a lot of meat on them, um, at that time. And the, the deer that I had had shot that I intended to, to take was a very healthy looking deer. But the deer that I shot in the dark, not knowing was, was struggling, you know? Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing such like a honest, real story. And, and, you know, on this podcast, Baxter and I talked about the elk Baxter shot last year. We had to, you know, put four hours in it and it's super intense. And we were like, wow, do we really want to share this? But it's real. Like, this is just part of what hunting is. And it's, it's pretty incredible that you guys get to learn these lessons out there often just hunting over and over again um so yeah the journey is lots of ups and downs i can't even imagine what it must have felt like that must have been a long long hunt yeah it was it it honestly i really prefer to hunt in the morning now (laughs) due to due to that circumstance just because like if you shoot at something with five minutes left in with daylight it's I know it kind of puts you in a little bit of a dilemma, especially like if you have work the next day, you know, like, do I really want to sit out here for three hours looking for a deer and then butchering it? And then you have work the next day. It's not like a hunting trip where you have to dedicate, you have a dedicated week, you know, where all you got to do is hunt. It's just, it's just a, a different environment when it's like a part of your like daily routine potentially, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, and I'll be heading out to Hawaii in May. I'll pretty much be there the whole month. So that's actually a great tip for me is, you know, cause I'll be working, we get getting up like five, 6 AM for, for work. So yeah, I definitely shouldn't stay out too late. Um, right. do you have any, and yeah, like, yeah, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I felt, I felt so confident taking that shot. And that was the shot that like, I was the most confident taking that shot out of the three that I've, I've shot. And that was the one that went drastically wrong, you know? So like you could shoot in the evening, like thinking like, oh yeah, I feel really confident here, but then it could, there's just so many factors, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, totally. Yeah. This it's so dynamic and yeah, it's also different with the situation of why, since there's so many deer, they're starving. I, I feel like the, the, when I went last time, at least the culture on the Island, it, it sounds almost similar to, to the way Baxter describes New Zealand where it's like, they they need to kill these animals they really need to like call this population to get somewhat closer to the carrying capacity of the ecosystem and i guess that's why the biologists had determined like unlimited like no tags just go for it uh it's because wow, it's just such a clear example of conservation 
Um, but yeah, I'll be heading out there in May. The tip for the evening is a really good one. Are, is, do you have any other pieces of advice for me or anyone else thinking about hunting in Hawaii? Um, what are some things that you've learned over the past few months? What do you think, Sam? Um, I'm thinking. We heard that you're bringing 24 arrows. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that's enough or do you think it'll actually be like, you need way more? <laughs> no, I, I think, I mean, it depends how much you, you hunt. I mean, you could probably tell Sam and I haven't hunted like a ridiculous amount since we've been out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like if you go, you're, there's a good chance you're going to have a shot opportunity. Now, like Sam said, like we passed up on deer cause they're like pretty small and we have like a whole process we have to go through and like living in the hotel, we got to like, you know, be, be careful about the way we, we go about handling meat and everything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like, you're, you're going to see deer, you're going to have shot opportunities for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to take them, I'd bring as many arrows as you want to, <laughs> you want to take, you know? Yeah, Totally. Any other tips about the general? I've only really hunted in Hawaii for five total days. I think maybe six, but um, yeah. Any, or if there's listeners out there first time, they have no idea. Like what, what advice would you give for them? Get up high and pattern them for a day and see mm-hmm. where they move. Cause when we were there um, or when we were here a year ago, we did that. And it looked to pay off for Jake because um, that was where he took his first one. Mm-hmm. And it was like super clean shot. I wasn't there, but that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I would say that. And then the the thing that we kind of already talked about that try to avoid getting tunnel vision on the one deer that you see, because there's going to be a lot more totally um, that you don't see. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I bet the mindset shifts to living in a place where you can hunt. Like this will be my first time having, I think four or five weeks, just living where I can go hunt every day. If I wanted to, would you suggest like, cause it'll be tempting for me to like, yeah, I'm going to hunt every single day, but I don't know if it'll burn me out. Like what's the mindset now as it relates to hunting now that you live in a place where you can hunt every day, if you wanted to, uh, for me, I really prefer cause like the deer have nowhere to go. Right. And sometimes you do. So like it, for me, it's difficult to go. Like if I'm saying like, Oh, I'm going to hunt in the morning and then I'm going to do this after, because then it just kind of like puts a time, a time crunch on the hunt and makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do if you wanted to be successful. Mm. And hunting is so much of a patience game. And if you plan to do stuff after your hunt, it, I don't know. It just, it just, I think drastically decreases your odds for, or your chances for success. Oh uh, yeah. Cause it'll make you maybe rush a little bit too much knowing that you have like dinner plans later or something like that. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, so that's, yeah, I you're think not the like a hundred percent focus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we typically go hunting on like our days off or like gotcha. Jake will work in the morning, even though he says he doesn't want to do too many evening hunts. You still do. Um, right. And then yeah. like, cause that's, that's what your, your time frame allows. Yeah. It kind of goes back to exactly what I talked about. Like I feel much better hunting after I have a productive morning and then I know like, okay, I can just hunt this evening and not have to worry about having a productive day at work. You know, mm-hmm. I, so it's kind of like a, 
a double-edged sword. I prefer to do morning hunts, but at the same time, I'm really kind of antsy during morning hunts because I haven't done anything for work kind of thing. And like Sam said, if you're able to dedicate, like I'm taking this day off, we're going to go hunt. I feel like your chances of success go, go way up if you do something like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That's a great tip. Yeah. I was thinking of hunting maybe five days a week on like Monday, Wednesday, and then Friday. And then like the weekends, like Saturday, Sunday or something, something like that. Like having a couple of rest days, break days, definitely in the evenings um, or like after work. Yeah. I can't. What are you planning to do with all the, all the meat? I think we're going to give away a lot of it. And (laughs) I like how you have so much confidence that I'm going to get a lot of deer. (laughs) I was going to say, he's counting those chickens. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I think I'm going to bring back, my goal is to bring back maybe 50, maybe a hundred pounds if I can. And then other than that, um, donate a lot of it to the families that we're hunting with and his families um, for the guys we're going with or we'll be hanging out with. So yeah, yeah, I think that's what we will be doing. Um, but yeah, were anything else that we should have asked, but we didn't or any other like last words or other tips that you wanted to give for new hunters before we wrap up? I can't think of anything. Yeah. I can't think of anything that we haven't said in our other podcasts. Yeah. All good. I definitely grilled you guys a lot on, on all this hunting experience. Um, I did want to plug for the YouTube for identical draw. If you want to see Sam and Jake out there in Nebraska and their whole journey, the video title is Nebraska whitetail hunt, big bucks and new hunters. And that's identical draw. It's two words on YouTube. Those guys are awesome. Definitely want to support them. And, uh, anything else you wanted to share before we take off? No, enjoy your trip. You're going to have a, you're going to have a blast. Can't wait to hear about it. Oh yeah. And maybe who knows, maybe we'll get to hunt together uh, as well. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be super cool. Full circle. Yeah, we haven't been over to that island either, so that'd be super cool too. Oh, that would be cool. We'll we'll have to connect. Yes, definitely. And uh, I'll stay group on a debrief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, group debrief. Let me make me really <laughs> sad. Send me a photo of three. <laughs> Family man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, baby. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, looking forward to it. Um, and for those listening, thank you so much uh, for listening. This was such a cool episode for. For us personally to get to just see your progression uh with see the progression with you sam and jake um over the year and uh yeah we will catch you on the next one